Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is Monday, April the 17th, 2023. And I would begin by noting that April 17th is a very special day for Canada and Canadians because it was on April 17th, 1982, that Canada's Charter of Rights took effect, which changed the lives of a large number of people. I'm not so much sure in a tax context, but in any case, and today, my guest is Virginia Latora Jeeker, U.S. tax lawyer based in Dubai. And today we have a topic that not only is, I think, of general bottom line interest to taxpayers, but is fascinating for tax professionals and people who think about taxes. And of course, this is in the area of penalties. So, Virginia, welcome. How are you today? Thanks, John. I'm always great when I speak to you. Oh, God. Then you, you're the only one. That's that you made my day. All right. Um, why don't we start off with just sort of the, uh, you know, the Reader's Digest good news summary of what these cases are and what they mean, bottom line, before we uh, erect the euphoria with the technical analysis. But it's great news for taxpayers and no particular order. Uh, What's, what's what's happening here? Right. So we have two wonderful cases. The first one is dealing with a taxpayer who received a gift from his mother, who was a foreign person residing in Poland. She won the Polish lottery and decided to send her lucky son, who was a U.S. person, who had immigrated to the United States and who was a police officer in Pennsylvania. She decided to send him some money after she won the lottery. And when he was in Poland visiting her, he asked his tax advisor in the US before mama gave him the money, um, were there any special rules, reporting requirements, legal requirements, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He was very diligent in asking his tax professional about whether he had to do anything. And he was told no. And he went merrily on his way back to America and received money from a wire transfer from his mama, two times getting in some big bucks from the lottery winning that she had. And he never did anything about reporting it because he was told he didn't have to. And then sometime later, a few years later, he wanted to give some money to a nephew in Poland. And he started doing what we all do, going to Mr. Google to find out about whether he had to do anything special when he wanted to give a gift. And that's when he came across, gee, this Form 3520 is an annual return to report transactions when you receive certain foreign gifts. And he read up on it and he realized he was not given the correct advice and that he should have actually filed a form 3520 to report having received the gifts of cash that were sent to him by his mom. So he then contacted a tax attorney who helped him file the late form 3520 to report these gifts. And they used something called the delinquent international information return submission procedure that the IRS has in place, where if you have reasonable cause for not sending in your information return and you have no other 
you know, missing tax liability, et cetera, you can use this um, procedure. And if you have reasonable cause, no penalty will be asserted. So they wrote up a very, what sounded to me like a very professionally prepared statement of reasonable cause explaining that he had gone to his um, tax advisor well before any monies were ever sent to him by his mother and what he was told and so forth and so on. Well, he was surprised to get um, penalty notices from the IRS in the amount uh, of $87,500 and $120,000 for the two tax years at issue. So big bucks for failing to file. And this was 25% of the value of the gifts made by his mom in the two separate transactions. So um, he went and started to argue with, gee, uh, we have reasonable cause. And IRS said, nope, got to pay the, pay the penalty. And so what he ended up doing was going to court because he wanted this issue resolved in court. Um, actually, let me go back. He had to hire an attorney and he, he paid the penalties and then he had to file for a refund in district court. So this, as you could imagine, would be a, a bit of an onerous procedure for him. And what happened, much to our happy surprise, was that the Department of Justice Tax Division, instead of filing an answer to the complaint filed in district court, they filed something called a status report in lieu of an answer. And that status report indicated that the tax division had conceded the matter and that the IRS would be refunding the penalties to him within a, a few weeks time. So the great news was the IRS revisited, evidently, his reasonable cause statement determined that he did have reasonable cause for not filing in the first place, this Form 3520. So that's great news. That's great news. Um, you may know, John, getting reasonable cause is not so easy. Succeeding on that argument is not so easy. And I think what helped this taxpayer very much was that he sought professional tax advice and he specifically asked the advisor about legal or tax requirements with respect to the foreign gifts before his mom had transferred anything to him. And, you know, unfortunately, the advisor didn't have enough experience when it came to international tax issues. Um, so sadly, that didn't work out that he got the correct advice. And relying on professional advice, it, it's not always, you know, a panacea. It doesn't always work to establish reasonable cause. But I think it made a difference that this person was trying to be very diligent and asking the questions before any transfers were made and so forth. So this case might indicate there, there's some leeway when it comes to, you know, more complicated foreign tax issues because this person did win on reasonable cause and I'm very happy to know he did. Yeah. Um, well, one thing, one of the things that I think perhaps could be added here, you mentioned that, uh, that originally the 3520s once determined to be needed and late were filed under the delinquent information return procedures. 
Um, mm -hmm. My understanding of those at the moment is that what they say is that, you know, go ahead and include your reasonable cause letter if you want right now, but we won't necessarily read it. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Um, they do say that. Um, but I believe this taxpayer had follow-up with the IRS even after he submitted that and, and received the, the notices for the penalties. So in other words, based on the, on the, the initial filing, uh, the yeah. IRS rejected the reasonable cause argument. Is that what you're saying? I think so. Because he received notices that stated ignorance of the law is not a basis for penalty. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It sounded like they did read it. They just wanted their penalty. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it says ordinary business care and prudence requires taxpayers to be aware of their tax obligations and do what they're supposed to do. So he did get a response that's indicated they read it. Mm -hmm. But they didn't find it quotes reasonable at the time. Okay, so that that is, of course, uh, good news for the taxpayer for sure. Good news for the taxpayer. And I think, you know, hopefully a light at the end of the tunnel on this, you know, really, really, you know, I think arbitrary and capricious, capricious uh, penalty regime. All right, so that's the first case. Now, that one is, I think, highly fact-specific. I agree with you that the reasonable cause was probably established by uh, attempting in advance to, one, find the right type of professional, uh, identify the issue, and ask the right type of professional, you know, the issue. I mean, these are things that are indicators of uh, reasonable care and, and also, uh, you know, the common sense of trying to find somebody who actually works in the area. And I think that was probably what was the winner for him. So great case, not so much a case, though, of general application. Uh, the second case you're going to tell me about today, though, is I think a more general application. This has to do with a recent 5471 penalty case, right? Yes, very interesting. So do you want me to tell you? Yeah, yeah. Just sort of in a nutshell, what happened here? And then maybe we can talk about the differences and why the differences are important. Okay. So first of all, I think we have to give a little warning to our listeners that this particular topic is somewhat complicated, and we are going to try and make it as easy as possible. So let's start off with what happened in the Farhi case. And that was just decided... Um, couple of weeks back, April 3rd. So this particular taxpayer had two Belize corporations and he knew he should have filed forms 5471, but he willfully did not do it. That, that was established, okay? So the IRS notified him that he needed to file the forms 5471 with his tax returns and he still didn't filed them. He ignored the IRS notifications. And then the IRS assessed uh, significant penalties against him for these non-filings. And most of our listeners will know that the Form 5471, the initial penalty is $10,000 per year. 
And then there's an additional penalty every 30 days of $10,000 if the IRS notifies you and you continue to ignore it. So that additional penalty is capped at $50,000 per year per corporation. So if you have several corporations and you're not filing this form, the penalties can really skyrocket. Now, what happened was he continued to ignore the IRS and the IRS put a levy on certain of his assets to, to collect the penalty. And he fought this case and said, look, the IRS doesn't have the authority to just assess and collect penalties for the failure to file the specific form 5471. This is not what's called an assessable penalty. So essentially, we want to talk about what is an assessable penalty? When does the IRS have the authority to use this assessable penalty procedure to collect the money? And what if they don't have it? What do they need to do? I think that's the direction we want to go in. Okay, right. So just to, yeah, I agree with you. But just to recap here. So in the gift case, in the gift case, uh, it was an assessable penalty, and the taxpayer won on a reasonable cause argument. In Correct. the in the fifty four seventy one case, uh, the, the court ruled that it was not an assessable penalty. Therefore, the IRS, you know, the, the penalty couldn't have been levied in the way that it was anyway, and therefore, issues like reasonable cause became completely irrelevant at that point, right? In other words, the IRS just simply didn't have the authority to do what it was trying to do. Fair statement? I think that's a fair statement. Okay. Now, I think one thing we need to just backtrack a little bit. In the Polish lottery case, for not filing the form 3520 to report the foreign gift, we have already examined what is the code section that imposes the penalty? And we will discuss what what tells us that this is or is not an assessable penalty in that code section. There's certain magic language we're looking for. And that magic language is contained in the code section that imposes the penalty for failure to file the gift uh, report of the foreign gift. So what I think is important, even though this was an accessible penalty where they could have gone and levied his bank account, for example, to get the money. He had gone through the delinquent information return submission procedure. And I think that gave him a little bit of a different avenue for having this whole issue looked at. Had he not gone through that procedure, um, I think they could have just assessed the penalty and, and levied if he didn't pay. Do you think or you're not? I don't know. I don't know. That's an interesting question. Yeah. In any event. Well, we're clearly dealing at this point uh, with the. the he paid the penalty, remember. The gentleman paid the penalty and then he had to sue for a refund. Right. Right. Yeah, I think that's a, that's more of a jurisdictional civil procedure question. But for our purposes here, what we need, I think, to focus on 
is that there are penalties that are not accessible and there are penalties that are accessible. And okay. the, the practical consequence would be this, that if it is an accessible penalty, as I understand it, and I'd ask you to confirm if I'm right, that if it's an accessible penalty, what it means is that it's just treated like any tax owing and therefore, yes. whatever collection options are available would be the same as they are for any tax owing, correct? That's correct. That's right. correct. So if you don't pay your tax, they can garnish your wages, they can levy on your bank account and your brokerage account and things like this. Okay. And if it's not an assessable penalty, in order to collect that penalty, they have to use a different avenue of collection. That's correct. Which, for example, might mean bringing a separate lawsuit uh, in a court uh, to sue on that $10,000.5471 penalty or something of that nature, correct? That's right. They have right. to, the Internal Revenue Service must actually go to the Department of Justice and say, we want you to sue this guy because he didn't pay the $10,000 penalty. Department of Justice is going to say we're most likely going to say we're we're not interested in such minuscule amounts. We of have course, it's going to cost them far more than that to do it. So to put it another way, from a purely practical point of view, if you're in the area of accessible penalties, the taxpayer is in a far less advantageous position because it's just treated the same as any tax tax owing. Correct? Absolutely. That's the good way to okay. look at it. And if it's not an accessible penalty, it means that there's a separate category of work that the IRS has to do to be able to collect the penalty. And that means involving lawsuits and the Department of, you know, this sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Now, yeah. Could I ask you now to weigh in on what I think is the really important issue, which is, one, which is, is how do you determine, okay, whether an, whether a penalty is an accessible penalty or not an accessible penalty? And perhaps as part of that, we could discuss why the court specifically decided that 5471 penalties are not accessible penalties. So, right. so let's start with the first one. How do we tell the difference? Okay, it's, it's not all that easy. You may get lucky, but you may have to dig in and really do some investigative work about your specific penalty. So certain sections of the Internal Revenue Code will tell you when a penalty is assessable because they have a listing of penalties that are, quotes, assessable. So if the penalty that you are dealing with is is on the list, then you know it's accessible and, and you're done. But if the penalty is not on the list, and when I say the list, it's like there are several lists out there. And I don't know that I've discovered them all. But on a, yeah. on a list. Right. On a list. It's not one list. So if the penalty is not found on a list, then you have to dig deeper. You have to find what code section is imposing the specific penalty that you are dealing with. So for example, in our Polish lottery case, the code section mandating that the individual file 
this um, notice about the gift received from a foreign person is found in code section 6039 capital F. So you're gonna to have to go to that code section and read what the penalty is and see if it contains any magic language that will tell you it's an accessible penalty. We'll talk about that magic language in a minute. So if you don't find it on a list of an accessible penalty, you've got to hunt for the specific penalty imposed by the code and read that section to find if it is accessible. Now, the language that I call the magic language, it will say about the penalty that it, quotes, shall be assessed, collected, and paid in the same manner as taxes. That's what you're looking for. So it could be a little bit varied. For example, in 6039F about the notice for large gifts, it says when it talks about penalties, the magic language is contained in the, in the penalty section of that code section. And it says such United States person shall pay upon notice and demand by the secretary and in the same manner as tax. So it's giving you the language in the same manner as tax. Um, so you've got to, yeah, you've got to do some digging to see if it's accessible or not. All right. So that's what makes the Polish gift penalty an accessible penalty, right? That's right. I mean, if it if it had listed on one of these lists, okay, which can it also be. But this one is not listed on a list, so you have to go to the code section okay. and do some reading. So to summarize, if it's listed, specifically listed on a list as being an accessible penalty, well, it's an accessible penalty. If it's not on a list, then you have to go to the next step and look at the language in the code to try to figure out whether it's to be treated as, a t as the same as a tax, basically. That's right. Okay. That's right. All right. So given what you just reiterated about the language of 6039F, okay, that explains why the Polish gift case is an accessible penalty. Now let's move over to the why then, okay, as well as we can, it's complicated, but why? In the 5471 penalty case, I mean, here we have a taxpayer who's basically thumbing his nose at the IRS. I did it willfully. I don't have reasonable cause, but you know what? You don't have the authority to assess this penalty on me. Court agreed because yeah. it wasn't accessible. And how'd that work? Okay, so the code section, because it's not on a list, we go to the code section that um, talks about the filing of the form 5471 when you have ownership in, in a foreign corporation. Um, this is code section 6038. And that code section will talk about the penalties if you do not file it. And that is in code section 6038B, little b. And if you read it, you don't find any of this magic language. Okay. It just, it doesn't exist. It's not in that penalty provision. So if you don't have the magic language and it's not on a list, it's not an accessible penalty. And that's the bottom line. Yeah, I think that's right. Let's just take a look at 6038 though. What, what is the language in there? 
Okay. So you, that was 6038. Where did you find it? Little B for boy. Dollar penalty for failure to furnish information. Okay. Little B for boy. Okay. Yeah, here we go. Shall I read it? Uh, sure, absolutely. Okay, so little B says dollar penalty for failure to furnish information. In general, if any person fails to furnish within the time period prescribed under paragraph two of subsection A, any information with respect to any foreign business entity required under paragraph one of subsection A, such person shall pay a penalty of $10,000 for each annual accounting period with respect to which such failure exists. And then paragraph two gives an increase in the penalty when the failure continues after the IRS notifies you that you didn't file. So I can yeah. read that as well. I don't, I don't think that's necessary. Um, no, okay. No, <clears throat> nowhere are you seeing that magic language that is talking about after notice and demand from the secretary. Um, and being treated as a tax. And that's yes, something. that's right. You're just I, not seeing any of that. Yeah, that, that, is, that is absolutely fascinating. Now, one thing that occurs to me, and, you know, as a tax lawyer, I'm sure that you will fully agree with me, is that what this underscores is how important it is to actually read the Internal Revenue Code. Oh, John, I know, but unfortunately, not many people do that. No, they don't. But I mean, you know, this is a very, very clear example of why you always start with the Internal Revenue Code. Because, you know, if you had not, let's just say you'd been reading commentary on this stuff, right? Uh, nowhere would you be invited to go anywhere that would alert you to these distinctions. Nowhere. I mean, you actually have to start with the code, I think. That's right. And, you know, what's fascinating is that, you know, 2023 has so far been a really, really interesting year because, uh, you know, we have three cases where, uh, you know, the IRS has not gotten the result they wanted, which all turned on readings of enabling legislation. For example, let's start off with Bittner. That's right. Okay, in the Bittner FBAR case, the you know the question, of course, was the correct interpretation of of uh, uh, Title Thirty One, the penalty provision, and it focused completely on the code, completely on the actual legislation. And the point was that the court ruled, although it wasn't a strong majority, the court did rule that what the statute meant was not the way the IRS was applying it. Okay, so I mean that's the first. Uh, you know, the second is this uh, this 5471 case, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's clear that for years the IRS has been treating these 5471 penalties as accessible penalties. And in the last few years, I recall seeing in the annual taxpayer advocate report, the taxpayer advocate expressing concern about this, right? And yes. that, and then these right. types of penalties, uh, you know, were in fact not accessible penalties. And a third one, and this one, you know, we might want to talk about in a future podcast is this FedEx case that just came out, you know, in the last week or so, I believe, where a district court judge uh, specifically ruled that an IRS regulation made under the transition tax was the complete opposite of what the, of what the code actually said. 
And and for that reason, you know, again, the IRS, the IRS law. So I think there's a really strong message here, and that is again that you got to pay attention to what the Internal Revenue Code says. You start there, and that and that's going to drive everything else. Now, another question I'd like to ask you as we sort of you know get to the end of this today is that you know these court decisions often have much broader application than you know, what the decision was actually about. So we've got, you know, the court ruling that 5471 penalties are not assessable penalties. And exactly the same reason, it seems to me, would apply to a number of other penalties. So I realize that we hadn't talked about this in advance, but I mean, do you have any thoughts on what might be some of the other penalties that would be affected by this this decision? Yes, absolutely. Relevant sections of the code would be section 6038 capital B and section 6038 capital D for dog. And these would implicate um, partnership filings, foreign partnership, form 8865, um, form 926, when someone makes a contribution of cash or, or property to a foreign corporation. These the penalties assessed are not accessible. There's no language, magic language there. They're not on the list. And for the average American abroad who doesn't even have corporation, 6038D is form 8938, right? You betcha. So 8938, even though it'll hold the statute of limitations open if you don't file it, okay, that's don't ignore that. Um, it's not an assessable penalty if you don't file it and the IRS comes after you and says, hey, you owe us X amount of money and we're going to levy your bank account. They can't do that. That's right. So, you know, I suppose uh, this, isn't, this isn't advice at all, but I suppose somebody who'd not been filing 8938s might reasonably consider whether this might be a moment to file them. Yes, I think people that have delinquencies have to try and really take advantage of this monumental case that that was won regarding 5471. Because right now the IRS kind of has its hands tied. They they can't go to the Department of Justice and say, oh, sue this guy, he owes us $10,000, he didn't file this form. Department of Justice is not gonna be interested in pursuing that, okay? And the IRS most likely wouldn't even dream of asking them to pursue it. They have bigger fish to fry. So if people are delinquent, they can't automatically assess the penalty. Now's the time to fix it because most likely, you know, nothing nothing may happen. You may just escape. So um, become compliant as soon as possible is, is what I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a, that's a reasonable thing for people to consider who have, you know, foot faults or whatever here and there, which, you know, there are many. There are many, as we know. All right. Cool. So this has been, you know, I think uh, a really interesting uh, discussion we've had today. There's a lot of really, really good news, uh, I think, for, for taxpayers coming out of this stuff. Um, but I think there's also uh, a strong message here that uh, – you know, the law still matters, and you begin by reading the statutes, the Internal Revenue Code or the Bank Secrecy Act or whatever. 
Yes, and I would add on to that, Don. What the IRS may be doing very soon is bringing this problem to the attention of Congress to say, fix the law, because we want this to be an accessible penalty. This is where the big penalty dollars come in. And we all know on the agenda they have this suspicion of anything foreign, that if you have a foreign corporation, a foreign trust, a foreign partnership, anything foreign, that it's always viewed in some way that there might be something going on that shouldn't be going on. So these information returns are very important to the IRS and, and they don't want their hands tied in terms of being able to assess penalties if they're not filed. And the only way to really get that fixed quickly, I think, is through congressional action. Well, they, they can't do it. They can't do, uh, the, I don't think they can do the 5471 thing by regulation at all because, because no. of the, the way the statute is phrased. But, but here, right. I mean, let me ask you this question, Virginia. It's you got know, to be by uh, statute or maybe the court case could be overruled. It can be interpreted some other way. Who knows what? Or, well, of course, there is the possibility of, of an appeal, I guess, in the courts, right? That's right. Uh, the IRS but, can appeal, or they can try and get the statute changed to make it accessible. Yeah. Okay. So let's you know, say they go the through. That's simple. Add it to the list. There's a list. Sure. Add it to the list. Sure. Or make up a new, you know, a new list or whatever. Add it to a list. But, you know... This, this could come in, it seems to me. I could imagine this coming in as just a revenue offset provision. Mm -hmm. You know, a revenue, and why not maybe the the, uh, the groups who are advocating for residence-based taxation and, and, you know, saying that somehow this has to be revenue neutral, maybe they could say, well, uh, you know, that the, the making uh, 5471 penalties accessible penalties could be a revenue offset to moving towards residence-based taxation or something. I mean, it's, yeah. it's quite interesting, you know, when you start looking at all the spinoff uh, effects of this type of stuff. But in any case, Virginia, this has been an, an interesting and I think hugely complicated topic that we've tried to address today. And I think yes. you've done a masterful job, so I thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, and, of course, we'll continue on with this stuff. But uh, you've got a blog post coming out, I think, this week on, on these issues, right? Yes, it'll be out on Thursday. Um, the one regarding the Polish lottery case has already been posted, so that's already up for readers to um, read. And the next one about this whole issue of the assessable penalty and the IRS lacking authority to assess penalties um, for these foreign information returns is coming out on Thursday. All right, great. And I look forward to that. Uh, and generally, uh, where would people uh, find, find your blog? Okay, it's www.us-tax dot o-r-g and i have a whole page devoted to blog post categories they can just scroll down the list and see which ones might interest them excellent excellent all right well thank you very much and i look forward to our next one thanks john always a pleasure